0: Praise the Lord everybody. Good to see you. Come on, let's give the Lord praise and bless his name. Oh, hallelujah. What a joy it is to see you family. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made and will do what? Rejoice and be what? Glad in it indeed, and we are glad. welcome every one of you to the house of the Lord. Go ahead and smile at somebody next to you and say, I'm so happy to see you, I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them. I'm so happy. Some of you can just turn and say, I'm just tickled pink. I'd have to say, I'm tickled black. You understand? I'm just happy to see each and every one of you here today and we give God praise for his wonderful grace towards us and uh, there is a word from the Lord and we want to see what the Lord has for us. I'm excited. I have been in Atlanta all of this week ministering there and I was praying that I could get back in time and catch that last flight to get back to minister on last evening and the Lord was gracious. I got here. So I'm, I'm thankful for what God is doing and how he is blessing And it's good to see that uh, he loves us, he cares for us, and we acknowledge that. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessings. Father, thank you for this, your beloved and my dear ones that are here. What a joy it is to be in the presence of such a wonderful people, our family. Would you now, sir, give us clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, accuracy of the text. Help your servant to teach and to share in such a way that even a child would be able to embrace the powerful revelation that is given to us through the text. Oh, Father, we love you. We adore you. There's none like you. We give you all the glory, all the adoration, all the praise. We extol you and exalt you. This we do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Open your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to Ezra, chapter 5. Ezra, chapter 5. We are continuing our series that Pastor Lance has been leading us in, tremendous series that we've been focusing on in regards to the book of Ezra that is entitled The Purpose Proclamation Project. The the Purpose Proclamation Project, that indeed uh, God has given us purpose. We're to proclaim it. We're to go and claim it and walk in it and be obedient to all that the Lord has for each and every one of us. And as he shared with us in the teaching on last weekend, whenever you and I move into following God and following the purpose that God has for our life, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. I I want you to understand that uh, the adversary, and we identify that there are three enemies that you and I face. Uh, One, the, the devil. Two, the world system. And then three, our own flesh, or what I refer to the others, I often tell people, is the enemy, <laughs> enemy, <laughs> see, see, those, those three areas that can rise up and pose to be opposition. In fact, if you have your bulletin, you can just fill this in, if you will, please, no significantly, no significantly good thing is easy. No significantly good thing is easy. If and when God gives you something and purposes it in your life, with the opposition, with the attack, you must understand that God wants you to fight back, to fight back. Not merely just be on the defensive, but to move in the offensive. I've been around... Christians pretty much all of my life I was raised in a Christian family and I find that we're good the church is real good at being on the defensive but we need more folks to be on the offensive we need folks to know that God has given you the ability not to just sit back and protect yourself from the adversary but there are some instances where as we say you have to invade the enemy's camp and take back the things that the enemy has stolen from you often tell people get your joy back get your peace back get your confidence back anything that the adversary has taken it doesn't belong to him and we just need more bold saints who will just say I have the authority in the name of Jesus to take back everything that the adversary has tried to steal you see and, that, and that's, just, that's just that's just how it is that's just God's word we, we don't have time to be passive and just well you know Que Sarah (laughs) Sarah. whatever will be, will be not so, not so. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, see? And we have been given the victory through the name of Jesus. So we're going to look at the text here, and we're going to find out some things that are going to help us because we're going to find out after a 17-year delay, after a 17-year delay, Pastor Lance led us all the way up in the teaching in which the children of Israel, are on a 17-year delay in rebuilding the temple because they have faced opposition. God has given them the command to go back into their land after being in the 70 years of captivity because of their disobedience. Because of disobedience, they were taken into 70 years of captivity into Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember, they were in that land, and then after the 70 years, God brought them back into their land. Now, fascinating. What's fascinating about that, God brings them into the land of Babylon for the purposes of correcting them. For the purposes of correcting them. For the purposes of, watch this, restoring fellowship with them. Whenever God corrects, it is always with redemptive purposes. God does not correct to annihilate or to destroy us, God corrects to bring us back into fellowship with Him. Now, notice the wording I'm using. I'm using to bring us into fellowship, because oftentimes we use the word relationship and fellowship interchangeably, and there is a distinction. We who are children of the living God, who are born again believers. We have been given, watch this, relationship with the Father. We are his sons and his daughters. That can never change. We are safe and secure in our relationship. But there are times because of my disobedience, I mess up my fellowship with him. Does that make sense? I I can no more, listen, I can no more be cast out of relationship with God than I can with my own children be removed as their father. I am their father, whether whether they obey me or they don't obey me. My relationship with them is unsevered. I am my son and my daughter's father. Their mother is their mother. But there are some times they get out of fellowship. They are disobedient. <laughs> there are sometimes I tell them, don't even claim me. <laughs> you see. But it doesn't change the fact that they, again, are my children. So it is with God our Father. And I'm glad about that. But with that comes the corrective actions of God. And in this case, He corrects Israel by bringing them back into captivity or bringing them into captivity, but He doesn't leave them there. His objective is to bring them, watch this, to bring them back so that fellowship is established. And so we're going to see some things through the text. Look with me here in Ezra 5, and we're going to start at verse 1. And I'm just going to go ahead and just read all the way through because there's quite a bit of information here. And I want you just to be patient as we just walk through it quickly and just read this. This will set it up for us to go further in our understanding and the teaching today. Here begins the reading of the word of the Lord. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then, then uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. I I want you to look in just those first few verses. You find all of these individuals, uh, particularly Haggai and Zechariah, and then you find Zerubbabel and uh, uh, Sheol, excuse me, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, coming together for the purposes of rebuilding the temple. Now, keep in mind, this is after. They have been on a 17-year hold. There was a time they had started to rebuild the temple, but they had faced the opposition of the adversary. And so now they're coming back and they begin the process again. Everyone say they begin again. Yeah, they begin again to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and they also have the support of the other prophets. This would include Ezra and later on Nehemiah. And others whom God would use, again, as the prophets that would stand alongside for the supporting of the process of building the temple. Now watch what happens. They're back in the land and they're rebuilding the temple. And notice what happens in verse 3. At the same time, Tetani, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them, them being Zerubbabel and Jeshua. These two individuals, Tetanai, he's a governor, he's a, over a particular providence. Uh, he would be the equivalent of a empowered, strong, uh, we could say in our context, a county supervisor who reports to the mayor, or in this case, the king. And Tetanai, the governor, and Shethar Bozani, and their associates came to the people of God and spoke to them this. Who gave you? Here's their question. Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But, verse 5, But the eye of their God, the eye of the God of Israel, was on the elders of the Jews. And they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius. And then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So these two men and the other governors come to Zerubbabel. They come to Jeshua. They come to the elders of Israel. And they say, who gave you the command to rebuild? And in essence they say, we need to check this out. We need to check this out. We're going to go to the king directly and communicate with the king directly. But watch this. Watch the favor of God that's on them. This time, they don't do as they did the first time. The first time, remember, they said, who gave you the permission to do this? We're going to put it on hold. You've got to stop. This time, they allow them to continue to build. In fact, it tells us, did you catch that? The eye of God was on them. The eye of God was on his people. It doesn't give us all the details. It doesn't tell us how God did it particularly. All we see is the end result. We see the subsequent result of God's eye being upon his people. Some way, somehow, how, this is the word we use, God gave his people favor. He gave them favor and allowed the process to continue even though it was being investigated. Can I tell you something? It's amazing when God is working in our lives in such a way that even when the opposition is still checking us out, God still gives us favor. God still allows us to do what we do. God still allows his peace to be upon us, his joy to be upon us. So notice here, they continue the process of building. We used to have a saying when I was growing up. You sometimes hear people say it today. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Anybody ever hear that? God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Well, let me me help you out. God said it. And whether you believe it or not, it's already settled. (laughs) If God said it, how many of you know whether you believe it or not, it will come to pass. His purposes and his plans. But it behooves us. That's what my grandfather's word he used to say. It behooves us. To believe what God has said. So that we become participants and partners. In the rebuilding process. We become partners in what God is doing. So. They allow them to continue to rebuild. The temple. While they're checking it out with the king. Here's where we pick it up in verse 6. Tetanai. Is going to write a letter. This is a copy of the letter that Tetani, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani, and his associates, the governors who were with, uh, who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. Here's the letter. They sent him a report in which was written the following: To Darius, the king, dear Darius, all peace. It's the Babylonian equivalent of what the Jews refer to as shalom. It's the reference of they, the, the Jewish people say shalom, which means peace. Shalom. And the Babylonians would say all peace. When I was driving here today, I was driving down the street, and the Spirit of the Lord just began to deal with me as I drove past one of the synagogues that were here. That a friend of mine who was a rabbi. And he leads the synagogue, and I was driving here to the church, and the Spirit of the Lord said, turn the car around. I said, Lord, I'm going to be late for church. He said, turn the car around and go back and tell the the rabbi, shalom. Go back and speak to him and say, shalom, and tell him you love him. And I'm thinking to myself, God, why did you make me turn the car around? I'm going to be late. He says, because I want to teach you obedience. I want to teach you to be obedient to me. There's a reason I have you going back and saying shalom to the rabbi and letting him know you love him. You see? I don't know what God's doing there, but God's doing something. Come on. I just believe that. So notice here, they say, All peace. All peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber, is laid in its walls. Notice here they're giving Darius detailed information about what they're observing. This work goes on diligently and prospers in the hands of the people. Then we ask those elders who spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? Notice how detailed that Tetanai is in this letter. We also ask them their names. For your information, O king, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. This is what they said. Now stop for just a moment. Look at me. This was their reply. I'm going to see if this is accurate. You tell me if it's accurate or not. This was their reply. They cussed them out. They bound them in the name of Jesus. We command you to loose us and let us build this house. And we're going to do what we need to do. And they fought them. And they kicked them down to the ground. We're going to kill all of you. Is that what they did? No. That's what some of us would have done. But that wasn't their response. Their response was much more, watch this, led by discernment and wisdom. I submit to you. That, beloved, when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, even when opposition comes, he will have you do things with the foundation of discernment and the foundation of wisdom. Here's how they replied. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. This is the elders talking. These are the Jewish elders talking on behalf of the people. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago. Which a great king of Israel built and finished. This is a reference to Solomon's temple. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. The Chaldean. Who destroyed the house and carried away the people to Babylon. However... In the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt and the gold and silver vessels... At the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king, this would be the Persian king who would conquer the Babylonians, Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered to one whose name was Shesbazad, which, by the way, is Zerubbabel. It is the Babylonian name for Zerubbabel, whom he made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Shephazar came and laid the foundations of the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and from that time until now it has been in building, under construction, and it is not yet finished. He continues this letter. Therefore, If it seems good to you, O king, let the search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king of Persia for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Humbly signed, Peptoni. He sends this letter to the king. To inquire, go back and check the books. Go back and check the records and find out indeed was there authorization for this temple to be rebuilt. But while they're verifying it, while they're checking it out, God's work is continuing. Can I say something to you? There are some things that God wants to rebuild even in our lives. Let other folks do the checking it out. You just continue the process. You continue what God has called you to do. Let others do the investigative work. But you continue to be obedient to God and watch what God will do. Now, here's what's fascinating. Now, we're going to see this taking place. The idea here is that we must remember that in times of attack, the discouragement the disappointment, the frustration—all of those things will present themselves, but we have to fight back. Everybody say, "Fight back!" Yeah. Come on, say it like you mean now, Some of you, when I said "fight back," fight back. <laughs> Margaret, he said, "Fight back." I want you to say it like you really mean it. Say, "Fight, back. fight yeah. back!" Yeah, there, there is, there's something within us, by the Spirit of God. That says we are not left powerless, but he has given us the ability to fight back, but not with our own human reasoning. Not with our own human ability. You've got some help today. You and I have some help today. We're not by ourselves. If God is commanding us to fight back, he's equipped us with what is needed to fight back. Let me be more specific with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you might want to jot that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we find these verses in verses 3 through 5. In which we are told, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our spiritual warfare are not of the flesh or human reasoning. But they have divine power. Or one version says they are mighty through God. To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's here's the thought here. When Zerubbabel and Jeshua are going forth to rebuild the temple... They are doing that not based upon their own wanting or what they want to do. They're doing that as that which God has commanded them to do. They know that God has said, rebuild the temple. But in knowing it, there is opposition that comes against the knowledge. Can I say something to you? Whenever the adversary comes to attack, Whether it is directly or subtly, it will always come against what you know about God. It will never come against what you don't know about God. Why would the enemy attack you against, uh, come against you with something you don't even know about God? If you know that God is able, that's the place that you'll be tested. If you know that God is faithful, that's the place that the adversary will discourage you. If you know that there's nothing impossible for God, that's the place he will come against you and try you on that point. And that's where you and I have to, having done all to stand, we have to keep standing and realize that our weapons are not fleshly weapons. But we have mighty weapons. We have mighty weapons. We have spiritual weapons. We have weapons that they don't even teach you about in the university. We have weapons, come on folks, that they don't even teach you about in military school. These weapons that we have are spiritual weapons, and I might submit to you without any hesitation, they are powerful. And many times they're underused by we who are believers. We don't use what we have. We'll use everything else, but we won't use what God has given us freely. God says, I've given you some spiritual weapons uh, would you like to know what those spiritual weapons are? Again, I go to my grandfather. It would behoove you to know <laughs> what God has given you as spiritual weapons that are mighty through him. And notice here, they're mighty through him for the purpose of pulling down any and every argument that Tetanai or Bozani bring against you. They are mighty through God to pull down every argument so that you can complete what God is rebuilding in your life. Let me give you these weapons, if I may. Here's the first one. The Word of God. The Word is a mighty weapon. The Word of God is a weapon that God has given you. It is not merely something that sits on your coffee table collecting dust. The Word of God is powerful. And let me even be more specific. The preached word of God. When the word is proclaimed and preached and declared and taught, it is a mighty weapon that is designed to empower God's people that when you hear it, you go forth out of this place and you do damage to the forces of evil and the kingdom of God is built within your life. That's why the word of God is so important. That's why I love the fact that we believe in teaching the word going verse by verse by verse, precept upon precept, line upon line, comparing scriptures, looking at scriptures, watching the New Testament affirm and confirm the Old Testament. We see Jesus in every book of the Bible. He's not just in Matthew through Revelation, but we see him even in the book of Genesis all the way through Malachi. We see Jesus in the word, so we preach the word. And when the word of God is being preached, there are yokes of the Adversary that are destroyed in the house. That's why the enemy doesn't want people to come to the church. He doesn't want them to come and be in fellowship. Because some of you, you could have stayed home and been depressed and sat there and pulled your blinds down and put your call on caller ID. But the fact is, there was something in you that said, I've got to get to the house of God today. There's a word that's for me in the house of the Lord. And by you being here today, the word of God is being proclaimed and preached over you. And I tell people, when you hear the word of God and it is speaking to you, claim that word as though it's directly yours. Sometimes people will tell me, it's like you're talking directly to me. Who told you my business? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God who lives in me and lives in you. So when you hear the word of God being proclaimed and you know it's hitting the bullseye, don't just sit there like a rock. Say, I claim that word. That word is for my house. That word is for my family. That word is for my body. That word is for my children. That word is for my job. That word is for my community. When you hear the word, receive it and say, I got my word. That's what I need. You see, I, I, I tell people, I'm, I take it literally. I do. I take it literally. Sometimes Pastor Lance is preaching or Pastor Brian is teaching the word of God. And there will be something that they will say that I know, I know. I will sit there and say, now I know I didn't have a conversation with Lance about that. Why is he putting my business over the <laughs> pulpit like that? Why is he putting my business out there like that? But I know that it's the Holy Spirit that is speaking through him. And sometimes if you watch me, he'll be bringing the word and it will resonate in my heart. And sometimes I'll just throw my hand up and I'll say, I received that. I received that. Sometimes when he's speaking or Brian is speaking, I'll just put my hand on my chest and say, That word, God, I receive it. I receive that. You see, it's like when somebody gives you a gift. If somebody hands you a gift, you don't just sit there and look at it. They hand you the gift and they just sit there. When they hand you a gift, you say, I receive that. Thank you. That's what I do with the word of God. The word is a gift to me. The Word of God is a gift. It is a weapon that God has given us so that you and I might walk in faithfulness in the things of the Lord. Here's another weapon that He's given us. Watch this. Prayer. Prayer. Not only has He given us the Word as a weapon, but He's given us prayer. And sometimes we underestimate it. I heard someone say the other day when I was talking to them about a situation, they said, well, at least, quote, at least we can pray about it. I said, at least. At least, the response was, the least we can do is pray about it. Baby, it's not the least you can do. The best you can do is to take whatever the need is and present it before the Lord because we have been given the privilege to talk to our God and hear this and know that he hears us. Know that he answers. Know that he responds to us. I like to be around people, here's how we used to say it, that know how to pray and they believe that when they pray, God answers. God hears. If you don't believe that God still answers prayer, if you don't believe God has the power to intervene in our lives, then I don't need to waste any time going to you. Are you hearing me? God forbid that I go in the hospital and they call you to come in. You will make funeral arrangements for me. Are you understanding what I'm saying? (laughs) Call the undertaker. Come on. I need somebody that's going to pray and believe God. It's a weapon. I've told you many times of the miracle I experienced in my own life of divine healing where God healed my body. I was born premature, two pounds, no ounces in 1962 in Montgomery, Alabama. And, And the doctors told my parents, they said, this child will not live to be 15 years old. His lungs are too underdeveloped. Don't get your hopes up. He may not even make it out of the hospital. God bless me to come out of that hospital. But at the age of seven, right there in Del Paso Heights, I can take you to the very house on Alder Street where I stopped breathing one night, completely stopped breathing in the middle of the night, laying in my mother and father's bed in between them because I had to sleep between them so they could watch me. Even as a seven-year-old, they kept me right between them. And my mother would sit there all the time listening to see if I was breathing or what have you. They didn't have monitors like they have to day and my mother would listen and she said I completely stopped breathing and my father called McClellan Air Force Base called the ambulance to come And pick me up and bring me to the hospital. But before they got there, my mother, who was a woman of prayer and who understood that God had given her a weapon of prayer. And whom she believed God had made a promise to her that God would not only raise my life up, but I would preach the gospel and declare the goodness of God to generations of people. She believed that and she laid hands on my chest. I remember it. I remember it as though I'm looking at you. And she laid hands on my chest, and she says, My child will live and not die, and he will declare the glory of the Lord. God, heal him in the name of Jesus. And I coughed. I coughed. I coughed. And I not only coughed, but I opened my eyes and said, Ma, I want some chicken. You understand what I'm saying? I've been eating Popeye's ever since. Come on, somebody. I mean. <laughs> Hallelujah. When you pray and you believe, God answers. I'm telling you, he'll hear us. I tell people all the time, yes, I've prayed for people and not, God, they have not been healed. I've prayed for people and they still die. I don't understand why all those things happen. I don't have answers to all of that. But I do know this, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to call on the Lord. I'm still going to believe God. Maybe God knows something about it that I don't. But I still am going to take hold of that weapon. And I'm going to pray. There's somebody that's in this room right now. You came here. And just being here this morning was your last hope. But I believe that you are surrounded by people who believe in the power of God who answers prayer. And we know God is able. Come on, put your hands together if you believe God is able. I believe He's able. Hallelujah. I believe there's nothing too difficult for him. He has given us the word. He has given us prayer. But watch this. He has also given us the weapon of faith. The weapon of faith. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me tell you, in the original language, it actually reads like this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. And hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and keep on hearing, and keep on hearing, and continue to hear, and always hear. The more you hear the word, the more it builds your faith. God had to help me one day when I turned around and said, God, I need more faith. And God said, no, you don't. He did. in my spirit. He said, no, you don't. You don't need more faith. So said, what do you mean? He said, you don't need more faith. You need less unbelief. <laughs> your unbelief has bypassed your faith. You got to shrink your unbelief. And just that little bit of faith is enough that will move the mountain. Don't take a whole lot of faith. Some of you, are, I need more faith. No, you don't. You need less unbelief. I wanted to go to Oral Roberts University. I was in a single parent home. By this time, my parents had divorced. My mother was raising four boys by herself on Social Security Disability, SSI. And my mother was raising us and by herself. And I came to her and I said, I want to go to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. And she said to me, she said, you want to go there? I said, yes. She said, I said to her, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I had just finished two years at American River College. I said, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. She says, if God is giving you the vision, He'll make the provision. If God has put it in your heart, son, he'll allow it to be. I got there to the campus. I worked in the cafeteria. I scrubbed floors. I cleaned toilets. I cleaned showers. I did all those things. Man, I had the best cleaning showers and toilet bowls in the whole (laughs) university. Because all I wanted was just to get a little extra money. Watch me. Not necessarily so I could take that check and go pay a bill. I wanted that money so that I could get a tithe, so that I could get an offering and bring it to the house of the Lord. Because I knew that God was faithful to his word, that if I took care of his business, he'll take care of mine. And I started sowing my gifts and giving my offerings. I'd go happy to church, giving my little $20 or my little $30. And I'll never forget going to the bursar's office, the loan office, the financial aid office. And I was paying on my bill. And I only had a check for about $15. And I was going there to the counter to pay my bill. And I was handing her the check for $15 on a $10,000 bill. (laughs) And they were sending people home right and left. Everybody was going home, and I thought, I'm probably going to be next, but I'm going to pay this 10 or $15. And I pushed it across the desk, and the lady says, let me go into the computer so I can credit this. And she started going in the computer, and she was typing, and I found out something. Sometimes when they're taking their time, and they're really taking a long time, sometimes that's God working. <laughs> sometimes we can get so impatient. That's God working. God is working. He's working because you know your credit score is 100. So God is working on that thing. He's, he's trying to. And, and on, she kept working on it. And then she looked at me and she says, um, Parnell, it looks like, As she slid the check back to me, it looks like we owe you some money. And I said the same thing. <laughs> what? She said, it looks like we owe you some money. And she said, apparently there's been a deposit made into your account. And the deposit was made by a woman here in Sacramento that was getting ready to go to heaven. And I used to help her at church carry her Bible to her car. A little elderly woman. I just wanted to be a blessing to her. Didn't want anything. Just wanted to help her to her car. And she remembered me. And put $20,000 into my account. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Oh, it only takes a little bit of faith. Even if your faith is shaky, put it out there. It's a weapon. Some of you sitting there, I'm putting on the whole armor of God. And you got your shield hanging this way, your helmet hanging this way. You don't even know where your sword is, but stand anyway. Stand anyway not your battle, it's the Lord fighting through you. Glory to God. So he's giving you the weapons of the word, the weapons of prayer, the weapons of faith. And here's another one. Now, write this down, but your pen might move a little slow on this, so you might have to push it with your finger. Here's another one. Complete and total obedience. I told you your pen was going to move slow. Yeah, complete and total obedience. Whatever God has told you to do, do it. But I'm going to lose some friends. Do it. Some relationships are going to be severed. Do it. I'm not going to make as much money. Whatever God has told you to do, obey God. Completely obey God. The, 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 The flesh, the mind is telling you compromise. Only halfway do it. Only halfway to it. No, 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 no. You even make up scriptures on it. You know the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. I'm trying to find that passage. Anybody know where that passage is? I'm trying to. Find, I've been looking for it. Cause everybody says the Bible says God helps those. No, obey God. Completely obey God. It's your weapon against the adversary. And here's another one. Confession. Fits right along with the one I just gave you. Confession of disobedience. Confession of disobedience. That's a weapon. Is there anybody besides myself in this house that can say, I'm not even talking about last week, last month, last year, but just on this week, just on today, we have missed it. I didn't think you would put your hands up. I'll put both my hands up on my feet lest I fall to the floor. (laughs) Every day I miss it. Every day I fall short. Every day there's a thought that comes that's not of God. Every day there's something I should have said and I don't say it. Every day there are things that I have to confess before the Lord. Why? Because I want my unconfessed sin list to be kept short. Because I want God to use me. I want to be used of Him. I've got too much in front of me. I've got too much God wants to do through me. There's too much that needs to be restored in my life. There's too much that God wants to rebuild in my life. There's too many people that are going to be blessed as I obey God. Therefore, I will confess. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Sin. If we confess our sins, is faithful not only to forgive us but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that powerful? See, we got something we got to rebuild. God wants to restore and he wants to do it through each and every one of us. Let me close with this. I I think a picture paints a thousand words. This will help you understand. In 1982, the Lord was very clear with me while attending Oral Roberts University that I was to return to Sacramento and I would plant a church called the Center of Praise Ministries which is downtown right in the middle of Midtown in the heart of everything I mean literally it sits between the arena Sutter Health the new B Street Theater all of that I mean the church has been they're literally building a 400 uh, space parking garage one block from the cathedral that the church has been told they will have the opportunity to use it's powerful it's powerful. It's powerful. 1982, God told me I would plant a church. He said these words, it would be a place for all people regardless of their ethnicity, their cultural background, their church background, unchurch background, regardless of that. And he said, there I will be in the midst of the people. And the first question out of my mouth, I wish I could tell you I had great faith. I didn't. I said, God, who's going to come? Just me and my mama? I figured your mama would go. <laughs> I figured my mama would go when nobody else would because she didn't want me to be embarrassed. you understand what I'm saying? And sure enough, she came until the Lord took her to heaven. She did. Well, here's the thing. I received that word in 82. I was so excited that God had spoken to my heart. I never have heard the Lord audibly, but I heard him in my spirit, in my heart. And I set out to obey God. But the moment I did, I faced all types of opposition. There were all types of things that came against my mind, even to the point that I moved into a state of fear and depression and oppression and a place of being confused. And even to what the the social scientists refer to as codependency, where I was trying to help other people and was so busy trying to help them that it became a control of them while I lost control of myself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it came to a point where it seems like that all friends were forsaking. Everything was falling apart. I was losing money. I would given all my money away on folks who didn't know how to pay it back. Spending it on everything. And I put it all out there. And I was losing everything. And I remember crying out to God saying, God, I've lost it all. I've lost it all. This was in 1989. I've lost it all. And God said, what do you have left? I said, Lord, it's nothing but ashes. It's nothing but ashes. I wish I could tell you that God gave me a deep theological response. I wish I could tell you what it was and give you the Aramaic and the Hebrew and the Greek context of what he told me. I wish I could take you through the exegesis and share you all the things that he did. But all I know is God said, blow at the ashes. Blow at the ashes. I took it literally. I do. I take God literally many times. So I did just that in prayer. I just. As I was literally acting it out and blowing out of my mouth at what I perceived to be the ashes I saw that the vision that God had instilled in my life was still there and underneath the ashes was Center of Praise Ministries and had I not blown at the ashes I would not have planted that church 27 years ago had I not planted that church 27 years ago Five years ago I would not come across a man by the name of Joseph Sisek whom I would mentor who would become the pastor of Center of Praise. Had I not been blessed to see him become the pastor of Center of Praise, the one standing before you now would not be standing here preaching the word of God and declaring the word of God. Had I not blown at the ashes I would have missed this opportunity. Blow at the ashes. Something's still there. You hear me? Don't you dare give up. This is not the time for giving up. It's time to hold on. It's not the time to look back. It's time to be strong. I have read the end of the book. And we win. Come on, somebody. I said we win. I said we win. Hey, we win. Stand to your feet, everybody. <clears throat> Glory to God. Y'all, I'm preaching me happy. <laughs> I want the prayer team to come up here if they will, please. And I want you to do something. I've been talking, and Pastor has been talking to me, and he says, uh, "Parnell, uh, we need what God has given you. We need what God has put in you." So I, I've been just taking liberty. To just obey God. I told Pastor Lance, I said, now if I come here, you're going to let me rip. I can only be who I am. See, when I come here, I got to be who God has created me to be. But I want to, with that, challenge you all. Because God's favor is so much upon this place. And he has given us spiritual weapons. I want you to move out of the place of comfort. And move to a place that we are just, watch this, we are just boldly obeying God. I mean, just boldly. Lean on somebody, give them a high five, and say, just go for it. Come on, give them a high five, just go for it. Just go for it. Just go for it. Don't be scared about it. Just go for it. Just go for it, all right? I want you, if you will, go ahead and just take your hand and place it on the shoulder or take the hand of a person next to you. Do it right now. Don't even hesitate. Sometimes we're scared to touch one another. I want you to put some action to the smile that's on your face because this is a matter for many people. This is the last hope that they have is what's happening right now. I have proclaimed and preached the word of God in this room, but I need you to take your faith I need you to take your prayers. I need you to take your praise, your worship. And without any hesitation, would you just take a moment and open your mouth and listen, don't get softy with this. (laughs) Open your mouth even to the point I can hear you up here speaking blessing over your brother or your sister right now. Do it right now. Go for it. Begin to pray. Just speak blessing over there. Speak blessing. Speak healing over there. (laughs) Come on, open those mouths wide. Don't don't hesitate. That's it. Open those mouths wide. Father, I speak blessing. I speak strength. Where the enemy has tried to tear my brother down, tear my sister down. God, you are the Lord God that rules in their lives. Lift them, God. Strengthen them, Lord God. Keep them in the fight, God. Help them to fight back in the name of Jesus. Oh, God. Beat back the forces of evil. Cast the enemy out on every hand. Do it, O God. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We love you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Lift those hands. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Because of what? The Lord has done for us. Everybody. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Give. give god the highest praise come on give him the highest praise come on give him the highest praise bless his name bless his name listen the prayer team is standing up here if there's anything we can agree with you on we know that god is able don't you dare walk out that door And not allow us to pray with you. We love you. Go in peace. Serve Jesus, everybody.